The following is brought to you by Canyon Ridge Church at Tacoma. For additional podcasts or information on service times and upcoming events, please visit us online at www.explorecrc.com. Well, welcome to your final week of basic training. Basic training for godliness, anyway. Uh, nobody welcomes you that nicely at you know, military basic training. But it's been eight weeks now. This is week nine. We've been focusing on this challenge presented to us in, in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. You probably have it memorized right now, but it says this. It says, have nothing to do with godless myths, have nothing to do with old wives' tales, but rather train yourself to be godly. And why have we been doing this? Because physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. And so each week we have been calling you to the disciplines of our faith, the common practices that were modeled and instructed by Jesus himself, and they were given so that we might become more like him. And yet we've called the whole series uncommon, because as basic as this teaching is, and as basic as these disciplines are, they are too rarely found in Christians today, even though they were meant to apply to everyone. Every single person that says, Jesus Christ is my Lord, these are the disciplines for their lives. So today we've got one more focus area, and then we'll be done teaching on this particular series. But even before I get started on this week, let me throw out a challenge that I don't think we've done before here at Canyon Ridge. So for those of you that respond when somebody says, I'm going to challenge you, I'm talking to you, all right? Um, and to those of you that don't respond, come on, come on, guys. We're trying hard up here, all right? Uh, respond this time, all right? I want to challenge anybody who will accept it to listen to this entire series a second time. This series a second time, all nine weeks of it. Now, you can always do that anyway, anyways, of course. You know, Every message we, we speak up here, it's posted online, on, usually on Monday, the following, uh, following the Sunday. And you know, it's posted up there forever. You can go back three or four years or whatever. We've got messages up there. You can always do that, but there's something in particular about this series, I believe, about getting these fundamentals in place that I think deserves a second listen. Not just so you can hear our lovely voices again, but so that you can look at your life in comparison to the spiritual disciplines that you have been learning about, and you can see how you have grown over the last nine weeks, and you can make plans on how you will continue to grow. Although this is our basic training, there's something about it that means we'll always come back to it, right? It's different from military basic training. You never want to go back there again once you're done with it. Not so for here, though. For here, these are the fundamental disciplines of our faith, and we will never just graduate and forget all about them and be like, well, thank goodness we got through that. No. We will constantly come back to them, and it will constantly produce godliness in our lives. So I challenge you. Go through your basic training a second time, this basic training. I'll let you know your staff has been doing this a little bit on our own side for the last few months 
Okay, before, well before we even started preaching on this series, your staff all read this really good book on the spiritual disciplines. We read through the whole thing, we discussed the whole thing, but we didn't stop there. We kept going from there, and we are going through every single discipline a second time, rereading the chapters, having a report written on each chapter in detail about what it contains, and then discussing that specific discipline in detail. We're going through it over again And we're finding great value in doing that. So I want to encourage you to do something similar in the hopes that you will find value as well. All right. So the final discipline we'll be discussing this week is probably one that doesn't scare anyone, which is good because we already talked about some scary ones, right? We've done the week on evangelism. Last week was the week on fasting. So I'll tell you today we're talking about uncommon Service. Everyone can probably take a collective sigh of relief, right? Phew! Oh, service, no big deal. Yeah, we probably should be more, you know, volunteering and, you know, helping people out and stuff, probably more than most people. Yeah, that's not really very scary, though. Um, In fact, many of us probably already feel like we've got that box checked. Like, with everything that we do at work and all the service we put in there for, to provide for our families and then, you know, everything we do in our homes and, and, and then, you know, if you actually look at all of that stuff we do and the fact that, you know, we can remember the last time we volunteered somewhere, we're like, we've already done this. I got service down. That box is checked for once, right? I mean, so many of these other disciplines have been just, oh my goodness, really? We got to do what? Oh my goodness. But service... Maybe that's something that we're already kind of familiar with. As a matter of fact, this week when I was researching this message, I read uh, two different chapters on service in these books on spiritual disciplines. They're, you know, here's everything you need to know about service. Neither one of those chapters even started with a definition of the word. They're like, you already know what this is. <laughs> so do we even really need a last message on service, uncommon service in a culture where where serving is so common anyway? I mean, what's uncommon about serving? Isn't it everywhere? I mean, just think about where we even use the word service or serving. I mean, I'm in the military. Guess what? I don't even go to work. I serve, right? I serve in the military. As a matter of fact, that's for anybody. We call that in our culture that serves the government, right? They're public servants, that's what we do. People that don't work for the government, well, that's, that's fine too. So many of us work in the service industry. It's an industry. Waiters, waitresses, no, not anymore. We call them servants, right? Or not servants, we call them servers. We uh, also call servers computers that like have files on them and web pages and things like that. But, you know, at home, we, we, you know, make a meal and we put it on the table and we say dinner is served. You watch the Olympics, every single point in volleyball, somebody is serving. <laughs> Ping pong too, but, or the table tennis, sorry. Yeah. Somebody serves every single point. We can also serve a term on jury duty or we can even serve a term in prison. Yeah, we even use the term for going to jail. It's service. We serve a term in prison. And as long as you aren't just wandering aimlessly through life, you could say, yeah, I believe my life serves a purpose. Our language is so thick with the use of this term. I'm sure every single person in here goes, yeah, I know what serving is. I serve. 
But what if I told you that Jesus Christ didn't just call us to any kind of service, but something that could truly be called uncommon service? That there's a big difference between service and Christian service. Christian service being something that we do not see enough of. We see all kinds of service in all kinds of places, but we don't see enough Christian service. Not even in here, in the walls of this church, let alone out in our communities, in the places we work. Perhaps then you would lean in just a little bit and say, okay, maybe there's something I can learn about service. Because, see, I think this world knows a lot about service, but this world does not yet know enough about Christian service. So to help us out, I'm going to do it. I'm going to start with a definition. No cheers? Really? Seriously? All right. All right. Fine. I get it. Well, it's my own definition, but it's not gonna, so it's not going to be perfect, right? But again, it's just to give us this background. It's just to say this is different, and I think we need to understand it a little differently from the start. So here it is. Here's my definition. Christian service is working for the good of God and others at significant cost to oneself. Christian service is working for the good of God and others at significant cost to oneself. And I'm going to go ahead and break that down a little bit and say, here's how I came up with this. Uh, First off, service isn't service without being work, something we actively apply ourselves to and we labor for. Whenever we talk about service, we are talking about expending our time, our energy, our effort. So if there's not much of that involved, probably not much service going on either. But there are three other parts to the definition that go on from there that show what makes this definition about distinctively Christian service. Because in Christian service, we work first and foremost for the good of God himself. And not to give him good things he doesn't have, but our work, our labor exists to please God to glorify God, and to fulfill his purposes. And this is really important because even if he is the only one who sees our work, that's okay. And in many, many, many cases, that may even be expected and normal. That God is the only one who sees that work. As a matter of fact, I told you, I did some research reading what other people wrote about Christian service, and that was the point that they wanted you to take away with. Christian service is about the hidden service. It's about the service that no one knows about but God. It's about the service that continues when there is no reward. It's the one that continues when there is, there is uh, active forces working against you saying, you don't need to do that, you shouldn't be doing that, you can't be doing that. But Christian service continues because we're not serving primarily for anyone other than God himself. Flowing out of that, our service is also to work for the good of others, right? That's the part of the definition the rest of the world is pretty used to. Other people have needs. You should be filling them, right? If it flows out of your service to God, yes. But then I added the last part as well. It says our work 
needs to come at a significant cost to ourselves because Christian service has a different character than we're used to. See, we're used to a world where people give to charity because they need a tax write-off, where people volunteer hundreds of hours because they want to set themselves up to get this scholarship or because they want to get some experience they can't get any other way so they can get a job. We're used to a world where people support good causes all the time because it's fun. You know, I mean, I've raised money for charities I don't even know about because they went on some runs that I had to pay an entry fee for and they, you know, all this benefits this charity as well, right? We're used to seeing people benefit good causes because it's fun or because it's good publicity for them or because they were actually paid to do so. And listen to me closely here. I'm not saying that those things are wrong. I'm not saying any of that's wrong. I'm just saying they are not what accounts for that distinctive discipline called Christian service. Christian service follows after the example of Christ and the teachings of Scripture. And there we see time and again that where there is no sacrifice of thoughts or time or resources, well, then the giving doesn't count for very much in God's eyes. So, to some of you, that definition will be helpful. So if you're one of those, write it down, please. You know, take it with you, make it count. To others, not so much. That's okay. Because what I want to do today with this topic is not just to provide you some sort of academic information some definition of Christian service. Instead, what I want to do is ask you to dream with me a little bit about what Christian service might look like if it weren't so uncommon. You see, I believe God's word has laid out for us a vision for service that many of us haven't even thought of. We haven't even thought of it, let alone started participating in it. And so what I want to do today is walk you through some of that, not just define a different kind of service and leave it at that, but to show you what it would look like if we let God's word shape the way we serve. I mean, what if it wasn't our schedules shaping the way we serve? What if it wasn't the people around us comparing who does what for how much and for what organizations? What if it wasn't about that terrible question, well, what's in it for me? What if it wasn't our own feelings that shaped the way we serve? Oh, not today. I just really, I don't have enough energy for that. Oh, but I have to do this one because otherwise I'm going to feel guilty about it for the rest of my life. What if it wasn't our inability to say no or our fear of saying yes that shaped the way we serve? What if we could throw all of those things out the window and just start over again and say, God, what would it look like if you told us how to serve? That's what I want to spend our time on today. So let's do it, all right? What would that look like if we let God's word shape the way we serve? Well, let's start with this. First of all, every Christian would be actively serving in a local church. Every Christian would be actively serving in the local church. 
what? Like I said, it would be a different kind of service. We're currently fairly far from that reality, but let me show you where it comes from. Get into God's word, because that's what's going to shape us. Here are a couple of places we can look at. First of all, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. It talks about the job of leadership in the church. Scary thing for me to teach on, because you want to know what your pastors and your staff members should be doing if we do our jobs right. The Bible has a lot to say about that. And one of them is this. It says, so Christ gave him himself, Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. So we've got all these different kinds of leaders in the church. Why? Here it comes. To equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature attaining to the whole measure of fullness of Christ. Did you see that? As important as I might want to feel, my job as a pastor is to make sure who is equipped. You. My job is to make sure that you are equipped to serve. Pastors, teachers, prophets, they may lead, but they do so to equip all of Christ's people to serve Christ's body, which is his church. Anyone who's included in that description, that term, Christ's people, if you are Christ's person, it says right there, you are here to serve. The church may be led by certain people, but we pastors are just servants like all the rest. We are no more special in God's eyes. We have no more higher ability to be used by God than anyone else either. We are all called to serve God's church, but we just are called to serve in different roles. Now, if you're paying attention, maybe you are starting to go, wait a minute, I'm taking it back. This is a scary topic. Because it doesn't just say I'm supposed to serve. I'm okay with that. But that verse said somehow... I am supposed to serve and end up bringing the church to the fullness of maturity in Christ Jesus. Did you catch that? That's how you think, right? It sounds like that in your mind. But, but if you're part of Christ's people, the answer is yes, that's what it says. So let me offer a little bit of comfort alongside that, though. And that comfort is this, that God equips those he calls. God equips those who calls so Catch this now. You have already been gifted to serve the church, whether or not you've been using that gift. Here's another passage, 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 11. It talks about all this good stuff that God has planned for his church, but you'll notice some things in here that we haven't even seen. The Apostle Paul is writing, and he says this. He says, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them, and in every one, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by the means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. 
All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes to them, them to each one, just as he determines. Who is given supernatural gifts to be used to build up the church? Each one. If you are part of the body, you are one of the gifted. And if we actually let his word shape the way we serve, then every Christian would be serving somewhere using his or her gifting in the local church. Another difference we would see is a change in personal identity. Instead of choosing to serve, we would choose to become a servant. Instead of choosing to serve, we would choose to become a servant, and there is a difference. Because when we choose to serve, we make a temporary commitment. It starts and ends at certain times, and if need be, we can modify the terms of the agreement we made. We're in charge. We loan ourselves to people and organizations with a need. We become servants for a little while, and then we go back to whomever we were before we served. But Jesus, our example in all matters where we are pursuing godliness, he made service about so much more than lending a hand here or there. He made it his identity. He didn't just serve. He was a servant. Everywhere he went, to everyone he encountered, he was here for them. In the book of Luke, he teaches us an interesting lesson about humility that illustrates his approach to putting others ahead of himself. So we can look at it in chapter 14, verses 7 through 11. It says this. When Jesus noticed that all who had come to the dinner were trying to sit in the seats of honor near the head of the table, he gave them this advice. When you are invited to a wedding feast, don't sit in the seat of honor. What if someone who is more distinguished than you has also been invited? The host will come and say, give this person your seat. Then you will be embarrassed and you will have to take whatever seat is left at the foot of the table. Instead, take the lowest place at the foot of the table. Then when your host sees you, he will come and say, friends, we have a better place for you. Then you will be honored in front of all the other guests. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. I love this story. I love this story because now on the one hand of this, Jesus has just given some good practical advice, right? All right, okay, you clowns. You guys don't get embarrassed at the next feast we go to. Let me teach you how to not get kicked out of your seat, okay? Right? I mean, it's like the disciples are a bunch of kids running around calling shotgun and then arguing about the rules and who has the right to it and everything. And Jesus is sitting there looking at them going like, I can't take these guys anywhere. I just got to teach them some manners, for goodness sakes. But on the other hand, right, this, this teaching shows Jesus' approach to every new encounter. And I don't want us to miss that part of it, right? You're in a room with a bunch of people you've never met. Some of them there are probably there, there to be served, and some are there, some are there to be 
to serve them. Some are somewhere in between. You don't have any idea why you're there maybe or where you fit in the pecking order, but what do you do? It's easy. He says, refer back to your identity. You are there to serve. You're a servant, after all, by choice, regardless of what might be owed to you or how hard you've worked or who you know. Choose the seat, choose the role of the servant right from the beginning. That's what he teaches. Every situation, start by saying, I'm a servant here. Now, Jesus made it clear that that was how he saw himself, right? In Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, he said this. He said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And he made it clear for us that if any of us wanted a place of greatness in his kingdom, we would follow suits. Mark chapter 9, verse 35, he taught his disciples this, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. Now, that's pretty direct. It wasn't even what we would write, right? Like the most pious and like spiritual of us might write it this way. Anyone who wants to be great in the kingdom of heaven must serve a heck of a lot and must often be last. It's not that. The gold standard is this. Voluntarily take last place and be a servant to every single person you meet. That is nothing like the service that we know so commonly from our culture today. Most of our service is in and out, you know? Lower yourself, then raise yourself back up right? Serve and done. And hopefully, you know, maybe you'll even get a pat on the back at least to show for it. Maybe a certificate, you know? Sometimes we get more credit, sometimes less, but it's still something we do in our culture. It's not someone we are, right? But that doesn't seem like what Jesus is describing here. He's saying, don't just serve. Be a servant, to everyone, in every situation, right from the start. I mean, you don't have to raise your hand, but can anyone here really say that they are the servant of all? Take that down. I can't. I can't even say that I've done that, you know, like for one hour, I was that, right? But Jesus showed us what that looks like. And we're called to be like him. That's what godliness is. It's becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. And I've got one more for us this morning. One more major difference that we would see if we would let God's word shape the way we serve. And so I hope it's all right if I get real practical with you, you know, on this one here. And this is one that you can use to examine your life, preferably yours, not the person next to you whose elbows are receiving from yours right now. But um, you can use this one to examine your own life to see where God might want to make some changes. If we let God's word shape the way we serve, we would use our service as a measurement for the genuineness of our love. We would use our service as a measurement for the genuineness of our 
love. You see, just like we overuse the word service, we super overuse the word love. (laughs) We love to claim that we love people. See what I did there? But what do we have to back up those claims? Well, today, let me suggest this. I would say that Jesus backed up his claim to love through service. For him, it was his costly sacrifice for our good that he can point to again and again and again and show us, look, my love is real. Look how I served you. One of the most definitive passages in the entire Bible on service is John chapter 13. This is the story of Jesus, the Son of God, once again taking the lowest possible place, the position of the servant. This is a story where he, on the night before he was to be crucified, takes a towel and washes each of his disciples' feet. We won't read the whole story today, but I just want to look at how that story is even introduced. In John chapter 13, verse 1, the apostle John is writing, and he sets the scene. He says it was just before Passover. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in this world, he loved them to the end. And from there, he proceeds to tell the story of how Jesus served each of them and then commanded them to do the same for others. How did Jesus love them to the end? He served them. Even as he was facing imminent arrest and crucifixion. I mean, if anybody has ever had a reason to be served, it was Jesus. The passage said that he had already loved his disciples well. I mean, it's like he could have checked that box and it would have been fine, right? One night left on this earth the most difficult night of his entire life, I think it would have been okay for Jesus to go, guys, can you chip in a little bit? Help me out a little bit somehow. I could use some comfort. Could someone serve me just tonight? Could someone pray for me? Could someone encourage me? Right? The most difficult night of his life when he had already loved his disciples well, the Bible tells us that. And instead, on that night, his character still didn't change a bit. He loved his disciples for the entire time he was with them, and then he loved them continually on the last night he had with them by serving them. Galatians 5.13 tells Christians how to use their freedom, and in short, it says this, don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh, rather Serve one another humbly in love. Christian service goes hand in hand with Christian love. Love drives and motivates service, and service proves the genuineness of love. We should therefore be extremely skeptical of any love that is professed by someone, but if it is not accompanied by service. That can be a warning signal in relationships, but it should also be a call to accountability for us. And here's what I mean on that, on that last part. 
Let's focus in the mirror for just a bit here because, see, it's easy to go, oh, you know, those singers on the radio, they sing about love all the time. They have no clue what they're talking about. Okay, soft target, right? Let's just focus in on us for a moment. If we claim to love someone with the love of Christ, then we should be serving that same someone in Christian service, right? Well, how are you doing? You don't have to do this assignment here. You can take it home. You can just think about it. But if you took a piece of paper and you wrote down all the people you're called to love, heck, if you just wrote down all the people you say you love, can you describe how you are presently serving each person on that list? How you have served them recently? How are you working for their good in a way that costs you significantly? Would you have something for everyone on your list that isn't something you did two years ago? Would you have trouble figuring out how you could even possibly serve certain people on that list? How do you serve your kids? How do you serve your spouse, your parents? How do you serve your coworkers, someone else? If we say we are loving someone, how are we backing that up with something more than just a warm and fuzzy feeling? Jesus figured that out. He chose the position of a servant, a servant to those who should have been serving him, even up to the very end. Christian service is one thing to define, but it's in another entirely to live out. But imagine if we did. Can you? I mean, what if? What if every follower of Jesus in this church took it upon themselves to use the gifts that God gave them and serve right here in the church? Can you imagine? I mean, what would be different? I mean, first of all, I think that uh, it'd be fascinating because we would see so many more gifts in use that we normally don't even see in operation. Because remember that passage of scripture we read earlier, it listed this ton of different gifts that the Holy Spirit gives, but guess what? The only gifts you see are the ones that people are putting to use. So sure, you know, come here on any given week and you're going to see teaching and leadership gifts on every Sunday, but those are only a small portion of what God wants to do here. What about healings and miracles? Those were in the list too. Can we ever have too many people gifted with encouragement? Can we have too much wisdom flowing into the church, too much knowledge, too much compassion for people? What would happen if we saw more people that were using their gifts of extraordinary giving or their gifts of extraordinary faith? Where would God take us as a church? We wouldn't just, it wouldn't just stop there. It wouldn't just be, wow, this is cool. We're seeing all these different gifts in, in use. We would also see God accomplish so much more for his kingdom through us. If you haven't noticed, there have been a number of Sundays where you come in on here and it feels kind of full. That's a good thing. It means that sometime soon we're going to have to go back to two services. And we're looking at doing that, possibly even doing a different service on a different day. But if we did that, do you know what the number one thing that we need to make that happen effectively is? We need people who are willing to serve. We might need twice as many people who are willing to serve if we're going to go that direction. 
so that we can grow and so that God can reach more and more people through us. Right now, that's a significant concern of this staff, of this church. But it wouldn't be if every follower of Christ was serving God with their gifts at the local church they are attending. It's an awesome thought to imagine, but let's keep going. How about this one? Dream with me a little more here. What would it be like if we all stopped choosing to just merely choose to serve and we chose once and for all to be servants? That that was our identity. We meet random strangers off the streets, but our role is clear. We're here to serve them. The guy who cut you off on the freeway, you're here to serve him. The new employee at McDonald's who's taking forever to get your order right and making a mockery of the term fast food, you are here to serve her. The employees who report to you, you are here to serve them. The people in your household, all of them, you're all about serving them too. What if we never stepped out of the role of servant? but just lived there and tried to get really good at it, I think it would make a difference. I think we would stand out as these exceptionally rare, strange people who are truly not here for ourselves. I think other people would ask about why we are the way we are. And we'd have a chance to introduce them to the one that we are following in that role. The Bible says that's supposed to happen. We're supposed to live in such a way that people ask us, what's going on with you? Something's different. And that would happen if we never stepped out of the role of servants. And finally, what if we made serving the standard proof that we required of ourselves to show the genuine love, the genuineness of our love for others? What if we held ourselves accountable for those words, I love you? It's so easy to say the things that people want to hear, but what if we resolved to be people who worked to make sure that those words had credibility? I mean, the rest of the world can say they love someone, and when they do, you still really have to investigate what that means. It can mean anything. But when we say we love someone, well, One thing it definitely means for us is that we will prove that love over and over again by working for their good at significant cost to ourselves and all to the glory of God. Now that has got some teeth to it. If somebody says they love you and that's what they mean, you can be excited about it right off the bat, right? You don't have to go, I'm not sure what you mean, and you're kind of scaring me. That's a definition of love. That's a proof of love that we can get excited about and would make a difference. I think it would transform the way we think. I think it would transform the way we act. I think every relationship we have would benefit from it. And I think it would make us a whole lot more like Christ and the way we encounter people. This world is used to seeing service, but it doesn't see enough 
Christian service. Such a sacrifice, such an identity shift, such a high standard, it's uncommon. But it shouldn't be. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I want to ask you for something big today. I ask today that, God, you would change the very character of those sitting in this room so that we might be more like Jesus Christ. Help us to put away our childish ways that always drive us to make this life about us. God, make us into new people, people who choose and will continue to choose over and over again to be found in the role of servants. Maybe that we might even understand what it means to be the servant of all. That's not like us, God. That's not where we are normally. We fight, we manipulate to get things the way we want while we try to look like we're serving others. But God, today we are asking for change. We want to be like Jesus who did not come to to be served, but he did come to serve and to give his life for others. Forgive us, God. We've been selfish. We've been proud. We've been distracted. We've put things that aren't important in front of things that are. Forgive us and help us to take on the character of Jesus so that others may see him working in us and working through us on a daily basis. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.